The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. From Psalm 115. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Let's pray. O Lord, our great help and shield, we sing and then say in praise, there is a day when the trump will sound and Christ the King will descend and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Lord. And we ask you to bring that day more quickly. We trust in it, we hope in it, we look to it and ask you to bring it. But until you do, we now live here and walk here and pray that what the psalmist called us to, that we would trust in you and find you to be our help and our shield. Pray, Lord, that would be true. By grace given from you to us, that it would be true that we trust you, that it would be true that we find you to be a help and a shield. Oh God, you have been good to us. You've met us this morning in, in song and in prayer. You've been good to us. And now as we open your word here, continue to meet. Don't come. You are already here. I don't ask you to come. I ask you to continue to hover over us and run through the midst of us. I pray reach down inside of us and deal with what needs to be dealt with. Why the fear and unbelief? If there's fear and unbelief, Lord, deal with that. If there is mis, misplaced allegiance, if there is distrust of You, then deal with that. Longing. Meet it, please. But come, Father, Son, and Spirit, and, and in this way, appear differently. Appear sweet and real and close. You have already started to do that. Continue now through your word, the passage that we're going to look at in 1 Samuel. Open it, Lord, and make it real. Have your way with us. If there's any sin that we need to confess to get it out of the way, Lord, lead your people right now in that. Make your word clear. As was already prayed, illuminate and help us to receive it that we would be changed. Thank you for speaking. Continue to speak. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and a short passage, contrast with last week, a short passage about David on the run. 
The last several chapters we have read and and watched the gradual unraveling of David's relationship with King Saul. Saul was at first quite positive towards David when as a teenager he took his life in his hand, it says, and and slew the giant Goliath. This is a great thing as he trusted the Lord and stepped out and Saul saw David to be one who trusted in the Lord, one on whom the Lord's hand rested and one whom the Lord was using to deliver all the people of Israel. And that was good at first. Until Saul realized that this made David increasingly popular and widely loved. And therefore made David a threat to his throne and to his family line. So Saul feared and hated David and sought to kill him. Secretly at first, and then openly. We saw that in chapter 19 as he chased him and David was forced to run and to run and to run. But the Lord consistently rescued David and and brought him out because he was determined. He is determined to put David on the throne. And so he keeps rescuing him. But for now, David has to run. And last chapter, in chapter 20, he ran to Jonathan, Saul's son, but David's dear friend. He's in covenant with with Jonathan. Jonathan initiated a covenant with him, and and he ran to him to to reaffirm that allegiance and to seek help from him. And, And last week, what we focused on was this idea of covenant, seeing that covenant comes from somewhere. It comes from love. It's where it's birthed. But then it is a formalized commitment that creates, if you recall, this kind of fastening, this bond. And that bond right there is what provides a platform for all kinds of risky allegiance. Knowing this one to whom I'm fastened isn't going anywhere. So I can risk allegiance. We need to think about the covenants that were in particular the covenant of marriage and the covenant of the church family. But the big point is the only way we can walk in covenant this way with people here is by keeping ever before us the covenant. And we have a covenant partner, Christ, who has fastened himself to us and is not going anywhere, never leaving us, nor forsaking us, and therefore provides a risky a foundation for risky allegiance, us to him and then us to the world. So we talked about that last week. Saw this, the beauty of it between David and Jonathan. It is a sweet relationship that they have as they part Kissing in tears, fastened together but torn apart. It ended as it had to with David leaving and running. And now all of the rest of the book of 1 Samuel is about David on the run in the wilderness. He's coming into the kingship, but right now he's on the run in the wilderness. And the first place he runs, our passage today, is to the presence of the Lord at the tabernacle. He goes there to receive what he needs from God. So what we're going to look at is God providing for the needs of David and for us. So let me read this passage, then I'll pass back through it to make some of the details clear and then make a couple of overarching observations. So I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. 
Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or, or whatever's here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be taken, to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. There is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. The word of the Lord from 1 Samuel 21. David arrives here at this city, which is still just a few miles away from Gebeah, where Saul is. He's going to have to go further, but he stops here because this is where the tabernacle is. The tabernacle, you may recall, in the days before there was a temple built in Jerusalem, the tabernacle was a large tent that God had told Moses to build, and it was the place where God said he would dwell and he would meet with the people of God. They could come there and be before him, and the ark would be there and many other ceremonial items would be there. And this used to be set up at Shiloh, you'll recall, but the Philistines had attacked back in the early part of this book, and the ark had been captured, and as things developed, the ark ended up somewhere else, but the tabernacle ended up here at this particular town, and the priests were there, and this was still then the religious center of the nation. And so that's where David goes first. And he meets there Ahimelech, the high priest. He's in the line of Eli, and is most likely the brother of the guy who is kind of the spiritual advisor to the king, Saul. And Ahimelech's son, Abiathar, is also present, as we find out eventually. And Abiathar becomes a very famous priest. He's one of David's greatest allies. So he's present, but the focus is on his father, who is unnerved to see David arriving alone and in secret. This is, after all, David, champion of the land. What are you doing? And David lies to him. The first of several lies in this chapter. Now, some have tried to, to kind of cover this and make it okay. I just want to point out the Bible does not condone what David says. It just says, this is what happened. He lied to him repeatedly. I don't think it's as noble as trying to protect Ahimelech by enabling him to legitimately plead ignorance. He does later. It doesn't help him. But I don't think David's being noble. I think he's being scared. And so he lies and says, I've been sent on a mission so urgent and so important and so fast that I didn't have a chance to get clothing, food, or weapons, but not so fast that I couldn't arrange a rendezvous with a bunch of other guys and assure that they had kept themselves from women so they could be set apart. The story doesn't make any sense. 
But he tells him that, and unsuspectingly, Ahimelech buys it. Why would David lie? And he listens to David's request in verse 3. What do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or, or just whatever's here. And he says, well, I'd have no common bread, which is a semi-technical term. He's not saying I don't have any plain old bread like white bread. He's saying I don't have any common bread, any ordinary bread. I have only holy bread, bread that has been set apart. There's a difference there. Common is the run-of-the-mill thing for the run-of-the-mill population for, for people. And, com- and that's common and holy, set-apart, distinct bread was the bread taken up and set on the table before the presence of the Lord week by week by week as an offering, as a, as a worship to Him. I don't have common bread, but I do have that bread, these 12 loaves, and evidently they had just been rotated off. I can give that to you. I can give it to you and, and to your men if, if they are also holy. It's holy bread. If they're holy, I can give it to them. Have they been? Are, are they? Yes, they are. He assures them. Okay. Now when he says, if the men are holy, and David assures them, yes, they're holy, he's saying something a little more than just ceremonially clean. He's again capturing that idea of set apart from the common. David's response about, yes, they're always kept from women when we go on an expedition. He's reflecting a a very common tradition in all kinds of peoples of that day. When soldiers would be about to go on a military mission of some sort, they would, in Jewish and in other cultures, commonly dedicate themselves completely to their gods. And so separate themselves from normal living, including from joining themselves to women. They want to say, we are set apart, totally, fully dedicated to you, our, our God. And so therefore we are in your service. Use us and and give us victory. They're holy, set apart. The men are holy. They can have the holy bread. Yes, they are, he says. And then he asks about weapons. And the only sword or spear at hand is the sword of Goliath, which is described in in an elaborated way, designed, I think, to make some bit of Reminiscing happen. If, if I were to say to you, for instance, suppose you have a, suppose you're a, a parent and you've got a child named Bill, pick a name. Bill, your son, whom you birthed at the women's center at St. Mark's. You're you're not. Oh, that one. I'd forgotten. You know who Bill is. When I tack on the your son whom you birthed at this place. I'm, I'm doing something there. Now, whatever the context might be would dictate what I'm doing. But somehow, you know, Goliath, remember Goliath? Oh, the Philistine that you struck down in the Valley of Elah. Nobody's forgotten that story. That's added in to make us notice something, which we'll come back to. You can have that sword and perhaps... As David looks at it and remembers the last time he grabbed that sword, pulling it out of the sheath of the fallen Goliath to cut off his head, I'll take that one. There's nothing like that one. That's the passage. A brief encounter. It's not very long. It didn't take very long. It happened. A brief encounter between David and the high priest in the presence of the Lord. 
What are we to make of that? Well, let me sum it up a little bit with some of the words from Psalm 115 that I read. I think that we should think about this sentence. Psalm 115 exhorts us, Trust in the Lord, your help and your shield. Trust in the Lord, your help and your shield. Let me work towards that by making two observations. First one's this. We look at this passage, we see it teaching us, very clearly teaching us, the Lord provides for the needs of His set-apart servant, David. The Lord provides for the needs of His set-apart servant, David. And I'm using the language set-apart there to kind of keep our minds on what the, the heart of the word holy is. Because we sometimes hear holy and we we start to drift back towards something like sinless or righteous or pure. That's not the base meaning. That is implied sometimes as kind of a continuing meaning, but the, the heart of holy is set apart. That's the word holy. It's repeated with the bread and the men. And, you know, bread cannot be sinful or sinless, but it can be holy, which shows us what the word is about. Distinct. Set apart. Another word we might use is consecrated. Separated from. To God. From the common to God for His use, for His purposes. Joined to God. That's the core meaning of the word. And once we get that, we see that of all the people in the land, David is the set apart one. Of everybody in Israel at the moment, David is the one. From chapter 16 on, we have seen God send Samuel to David to put his hand on him that the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon David and anoint him. To give him that anointing that had been, Saul had been the only other one other than a priest to experience that. And it leaves Saul and that anointing comes onto David and he is the one on whom God's hand rests and God then uniquely plucks him up and uses him again and again and again. God with him. God pulling him out to use him to deliver Saul from evil spirits, to deliver Israel from Goliath, and then again and again and again we see phrases like in chapter 18, success for the Lord was with him. This is the set-apart one. The holy one. In all of Israel. And what we find here is this set-apart one running, chased, and where does he stop? In the presence of the Lord who provides for his needs through the priest. How does this happen? The Lord provides for the needs of the set-apart one. Well, the priest looks at him and understands what we're just talking about. And notice verse 4, the priest has the idea about the holy bread. Well, I don't have any common bread, but maybe the holy bread would work for you and maybe even for your men. It's the priest's idea because he looks at David and sees this is the set-apart one. Now, usually, I'm, I'm accustomed to talking about me and my family. The priest is the set-apart one because how this whole nation works is the common people and the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron uniquely set apart. That's usually us, but before me stands the one that undeniably is anointed and called and holy. And he's hungry and in need, and I have bread. For set-apart ones. 
I have a set-apart holy one in need, and I have bread for set-apart holy uses. Your need, maybe your men too. He sees that and says, here, eat. Here's the bread that sits in the presence of the Lord for you. Take and eat. Need a weapon? Here's the sword. The sword of Goliath. And so through the priest, here at the tabernacle, in the presence of the Lord, God provides for the needs of his servant David. And notice something. David's deception does not affect that. David's sin, David's lie does not affect that. Because it didn't come to David because he was worthy and righteous. It came to David because God had said, I choose you and I put you over here. I set you apart. Not because you're sinless. Because you're holy. Set apart. Graciously then, we see God meet two very pressing, very tangible needs. He needs to eat and he needs to be able to defend himself. And God meets both of those needs. How helpful and how good of God. But, we need to think about this one more time because there is something even better here. And as I thought about this, this, I hope, I hope God shows you something neat in this. And this, this, this is what's going to lead us into how this connects to us. The nature of the provision is most sweet and most kind of the Lord. It is most gracious. Look at this again. Think about this again. He gives to David not just common bread. Bless the providence of God that there wasn't any common bread on hand. None to be found. I don't have any. Bless God for that providential sovereign action of removing somehow or another all the common bread and leaving only this so that what David gets put into his hands is the bread of the presence. This bread that is for holy ones and says to them something very special. Think about this. Think what that bread says. In all of, I already described it briefly, in all the setup of Israel, there is a people and then there's a people called out And God, to all of the normal people, gave them an inheritance. He gave them great big swaths of land and many, 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 many cities and all kinds of fields and all kinds of resources and streams and and mines with ore they could extract, all kinds of stuff, but not to these ones. He gave them squat. Oh, no. He set these ones apart to be his special servants and said, "They look at the inheritance they got, the allotment they have received. I have given you myself as inheritance. I am your portion. You will eat the choice meat set on my altar. You will eat the special bread set before me. I haven't given you land. I've given you me. I haven't given you crops and flocks to raise. I've given you the best of all the crops and all the flock. 
I am your portion. And they remember that every time they put a bit of sacrificed meat in their mouth and every time they put a bit of holy bread in their mouth, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. This was given to him in worship and he gave it to me directly. Holy bread carries with it a message. As I eat this, I remember the Lord is my portion. How gracious of God to feed David with that bread. Not common bread. With that bread that says, David, I am your portion. Take and eat. You are my holy one. This is my holy bread off of my table for you. I will feed you. Take, eat. That is a tremendous kindness. Much more, much more deeply moving than just filling his stomach for the next four hours. The message in how he feels, feels, fills is important. And how sweet how kind, how gracious the providence of God that there wasn't another weapon anywhere to be found. But only that one. Set there as a trophy to recall Goliath, the Philistine that you slew in the valley. He takes that sword and it carries with it, just like the bread, it carries with it another message, not the message Thank goodness, now I can defend myself. Think, what message does that sword carry? That sword says much more. It speaks a much better word than that. It cries out, the Lord saves. This is David's words just before he fought Goliath. The Lord saves not with sword and spear. And the battle is the Lord's. And He will give Goliath into my hands and every other giant. This sword reminds David that he has God who doesn't need swords. That's a much better message than here. Now you can defend yourself. Do you see the marvel in that? Here, now I will defend you. What's that saying? Or, I am your portion and your protector. I am your help and your shield. I am your bread and your sword. I am. David's needs are met. God intervenes here in the presence of the Lord through the priest to meet the needs of his set-apart servant. To meet very physical, very tangible needs of bread and, and weapon. Yes, but more than that, he meets the need that David has as he's running out into the wilderness all by himself, I am with you to feed you and protect you. I am your portion. I am your protector. Eat my bread. Take this sword that reminds you of that. The Lord provides the needs of his set-apart servant, David. That's the first observation. <laughs> May it rest on you and be, and be sweet because it connects to us here in the second observation. What does that mean for us? Well, 
The Lord provides for these needs, these same needs for us too. In the one who is greater than David. The Lord provides for these needs for us too in the one who is greater than David. For you, saying he provides for us, I'm, I'm saying that us includes you if you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, I just say he would provide for you too if you would become one. So come, trust Christ, and find him to be a provider like this for you too. But Christian, this is for you. What a blessing we have here that God not only meets very physical, very tangible needs, but more than that, He meets the greatest need that's going on in here. He delivers to us Himself and gives us assurance that He is with you. Provider, portion, shield, protector. That's what you need. And He he is that for you. And He delivers that reminder to you. You who are in the One who is greater than David. So let's be sure... We understand how that is. We look briefly at a passage in the New Testament to to bring this home to us because it's possible that most of us are familiar with this passage in 1 Samuel because it occurs in three different Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All of them record how Jesus himself referenced this event while in discussion with Pharisees. So I'm going to make a few comments about Mark. So turn to Mark chapter 2. I want to make some disclaimers here. I am not teaching the book of Mark. I'm not teaching this passage in Mark. And I'm not commenting on the larger context within which it sits, the Sabbath discussion. So there might be a bunch of questions that I just raise and leave behind because it's not my purpose this morning. I'm I'm focused on the point from 1 Samuel 21 and trying to figure out how that gets to us. It does. So here's a few comments about Mark 2. And as we read it, You'll notice that in Mark 2.23, I should turn there myself, 2.23, and you'll notice here in a moment that, that Jesus attributes this event to happening in the time of Abiathar, the high priest. Well, our passage says it's Ahimelech, his father. Abiathar was there, and probably Jesus does this because this is the event that begins the reign of Abiathar as high priest because his dad gets killed very shortly for this. Abiathar was present, and this starts the time when he becomes a a very famous high priest and a very strong ally of David's. So it's probably placed, the word is literally, upon or before Abiathar, meaning under the period that Abiathar's priesthood controls. So, with that, let me read Mark 2, 23 and following. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? That's the larger context for discussing the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did in 1 Samuel 21? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So Jesus sets up this contrast here. They confront him for his disciples walking through the grain field and, and eating, perhaps because they're, they're harvesting it. Or it appears they're harvesting or maybe de-husking it. 
One of the Gospels recalls how they rubbed it between their hands and the Pharisees are trying to bust them on that. Why are they doing what they're not supposed to do? And Jesus draws a parallel. Do you know? Do you remember? David and his guys, hungry and in need. Me and my guys, hungry and in need. Parallel here. What happened? Everybody knows what happened. The priest had an idea. Not even David. The priest had an idea. So he obviously didn't have a problem with this, like you guys do. The priest had an idea, and as we've just talked about, he looked and he saw a holy one and the holy bread. He said, this should happen. This should go together here. So this is what happened. He ate, which was fine, right? That's the implied rhetorical question that Jesus doesn't speak, but it's the implied rhetorical question, which was fine, right? It was. And then watch the conclusion which is the point I'm trying to draw out of this. It's the punch at the end. The very last sentence. Verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Literally to hear the... It reads, Lord is the Son of Man even of the Sabbath. This was fine for David, the set-apart one. Well, let me tell you something. One greater than David has come and stands right here. Lord is the Son of Man. If it was okay for David, the set-apart one, well, here is one who is uniquely holy, holy, holy. One who is uniquely set apart, separate from all of the common. Here is one standing before you, Lord of not just the Sabbath, even the Sabbath, but everything else. Here is one who has come also then to grab hold of other people and set them apart from the common. How does He do that? Well, they, they perhaps don't understand that yet, but you do. That's what the cross is about. That God sent into this world God the Son come in flesh, holy, 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 joined to a body. A human body. So as to grab hold of a people and set them apart by atoning for their sin on the cross that He would make this people then a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people belonging to God as His possession. Here is one greater than David and a people that He has claimed greater than David's servants claimed at the cross, made you, if you are a believer, holy. Not sinless, but holy. And if David and his men find the Lord to be their portion and protector, how much more then does the one who is greater than David and all of those who are his disciples find that any and all of the riches of God are ours? at any and all times, in any and all places, in any and all amounts needed, in any manner appropriate to meet any need. Ours. Because we are in Him. And He is greater than David, owning all things. Any need. Men and women. 
any need. Now, the problem is we sometimes don't know what our needs are. We get confused about that. Sometimes a whole bunch of angst develops and discontent and frustration. It happens to me. It must happen to you. Where I think I have a need. You think you have a need that's not being met. But all of what we need is known by Him. And the answer to that need, the daily bread that we need, is already laid up in His bounty. He holds it and will distribute it to you in time. He has wholly set apart bread to meet the needs of His wholly set apart ones. You, Christian, you will never know a need unmet. That is good news. And it has nothing to do with your own righteousness. You, like David, are a sinner. But God, for you, like He did for David, has set you apart and promised to pour out on you every provision you need. He is your portion. He is your inheritance. He is your protector. We doubt that in the wilderness when we are vulnerable and afraid. We doubt that. That's the time of challenge. I'm saying things that you've heard. I I sure hope. I'm saying things that you've heard. But the time of challenge is when you leave the city and walk out into the wilderness by yourself with someone on your heels with a spear. You know what I mean? I'm speaking metaphorically there, but when you head into life and you head into the challenges of life, those are the times when you doubt that where is this provision? Where is God my portion? Where is God my protector? I don't see Him. I don't see Him. I don't see Him. And it sure feels like I have needs unmet and it feels like the threat is pressing and chasing. Yeah, it does. Which is when may God, this is, this is a prayer. This is, not a, this is not a command to you. It's a prayer to God. May God take you and graciously enable you to grab hold of something and to see what it is. It is not just bread that goes in your mouth. It's His provision for you. You ate this morning. If, if you wanted to. You ate yesterday at least once. David could have just gobbled the bread and missed the message. He could have just picked up the sword and thought, thank God, cold steel. And not realized, it's not about steel at all. It's about God. But God graciously gave him eyes to see and the Psalms record his singing throughout his wilderness wanderings that he knows that the Lord is his shield and protector, his defender and his help. May he give you eyes to see the Lord is your portion, your cup. Oh, Christian church, you do not need bread and swords. You need the God who doesn't need bread and swords. And glory, you Have Him. 
The cross happened and the tomb was empty and He has been raised and He reigns and He is coming. You have Him. May He give you eyes to see it. You have the one that you need as you walk through the wilderness. And it may just be that He intentionally carries you into the wilderness to show you that. To strip you of everything else that you thought you had and needed. The wilderness can be a time of unique focus. David leaves the tabernacle with the loaf of the presence of God and the sword that God gave him off of Goliath's body. What do you have to hold on to and look at? Watch this. It may be something tangible in your life. It may be. It may be that you can look at some tangible physical provision and see in it like David can see in the sword of Goliath, can see in it God. That may be. But if you don't have that, that doesn't mean, man, God just gypped me and gave me nothing. No. Just like David had to have eyes to see what the sword says, you have need for eyes to see what the sword says. God births and God grows by His Word. A far greater testimony than even what our eyes see, says Peter himself. We were eyewitnesses, but we have a Word that is even more sure. Peter says that in the Bible. You have a Word that is even more sure. May God give you eyes to see it. To open it and read it and see what it says. See how it testifies to you. And then may God graciously, it's a prayer to Him, not a command to you. May God graciously cause to rise in you hope. Yes, He was crucified. Yes, He has made me a belonging, a possession of God. Obligated Himself to meet my needs. He give you eyes to see that. You have God. By the mercy of God. So why this fear and unbelief? Why? Why? Do you, do you understand why the fear and unbelief? Part of it is something you can't do anything about because... You, you and I, none of us, we will not be completely changed until the Lord comes. So you still have a fallen nature that runs around inside of you. You still have an enemy in this world who hates you and seeks to constantly sow into your mind fear and unbelief and to speak to you and say, He is not trustworthy. He is not here. So part of that you can't control. You can't make Satan go away. You can't make the world different. You can't change your own nature. But part of it, men and women of God, part of the fear and unbelief comes because we do not take ourselves in hand and talk to ourselves 
and say, like, like, the psalm, like the song asks, or like the psalmist asks, why so downcast, O my soul? Soul, put your hope in God. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. O Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. O you who fear the Lord, fear Him. He is your help and shield. That does not call you to passivity. It calls you to taking hold of yourself and saying, heart, soul, believe. And crying out, God, help me in my unbelief. Give me eyes to see what the sword says. So I'm talking about two things here. A a great action and a great activity that seizes hold of what God has said and a great passivity that says God must make it so. Not one or the other, both together. You must fight for faith and He must give it. The good news is, if you're a Christian, you can sit there and write on your paper, He loves me. He is my portion, my protector. He is for you. He wants to be formed in you more than you want. And He will work to bring it about. Perhaps carrying you into the wilderness. Perhaps providing for you in ways you can see in the wilderness. It's His part. Your part is to pray and to seize hold of the Scriptures and pray. To talk to other Christians and pray. Israel, hope in the Lord. He is your shield. He is your help. Let me pray. Lord, we have great need and I pray that you would meet it. For most of us here, probably, we have need as we wander through the wilderness vulnerable and inclined towards doubt. Come and meet us. Open the eyes of your people so they can see what you say to them and believe it. And for some here, there is great need. Some coming for the first time. Some tragically coming every week for years and gradually growing dull as they hear what does not interest them. God, open their eyes, please. Show to ones like this you yourself as portion and protector and convince them that without you they have no provision and no protector. No, not one. Lord, show yourself as good to your people here and to those who are not your people, at least at the moment. Call each one of us to you. We sit here now and 
and think, Lord, would you speak what needs to be spoken? Would you reach out and touch individuals here in whatever way is necessary that brings honor to you and builds your kingdom and meets their needs? Lord, if there are very physical and very tangible needs, we would ask you to meet those too. Those are very pressing sometimes, but they are of secondary need. Our first need is you. Draw near. Meet our needs. Pray this in the name of Christ, who has won for us that privilege. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.